0: So, this morning, I'm kind of, uh, I'm talking about a topic that might seem a little strange, and I entitled today's teaching, When My Time Comes. When we were kids, you've heard me say before, we we were pretty poor. We didn't know we were poor. (laughs) But on reflection, I guess we were. For us, that was just how things were. But looking back, and and one of the things was was this. in the winter it got coldish sometimes. But we only ever had one blanket on our beds. And we didn't have central heating. There was no heating in the bedrooms at all. But my parents I guess didn't have the wherewithal to buy quilts and all kinds of stuff. So here's what they did. When when it came to winter in fact throughout the year Behind each of the bedroom doors, the the two bedrooms us kids occupied, there were old coats hanging. Now, when I think back, I don't know if they ever bought that many coats for themselves, so I'm guessing they probably got these old coats from somewhere, and they hung behind the door. And if you, you know, if you got cold at night in the winter, you got a coat off the door and put that over the bed. That's how it was. Now, when I was young, I was a very nervous kid. You, you, you can see that, can't you? Right, so I, I was a very nervous kid. And when I would go upstairs to go to bed, the door would be open, and through the crack in the door, you could see this bulge in the back of the door. And I was terrified it was a person. Now, really, every night, I went sheepishly up the stairs, in case there was somebody lurking behind the door. And I would go in the bedroom very quietly, slowly turn around and bang the coats to make sure it wasn't a person. I was terrified for years. I was afraid there'd be somebody lurking. And then, just to make sure everything was doubly safe, I'd look under the beds. Right? kids are weird sometimes, aren't they? Then they grow into weirder adults. But anyway, you know, but, but I was absolutely, t- you, you know, it's amazing the different things that we can be afraid of. There's a great verse in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2 and verse 14, and it says this, since the children are made of flesh and blood, that's you and I, God's children, it's logical that the Savior took on flesh and blood in order to rescue them by his death. By embracing death, taking it to himself, he destroyed the devil's hold on death. He destroyed the devil's hold on death. Then I want you to notice the very next verse, verse 15. And freed all who cower through life, scared to death of death. Jesus, through his death, freed all who cower through life, scared to death death. Of death, There is one thing that God does not want us to fear and that is God doesn't want us to be afraid of death. In fact, what Jesus has done should break that fear in our lives yet so often death looms out there somewhere as something we don't want to think about, talk about uh, until it actually comes and hits us in the face. And, and, and the reality is that Jesus came so that we would be freed from the fear of death. I mentioned it the other week, my very kind and thoughtful daughter bought me a a book called I'm Dead, Now What? (laughs) And and it's a book that guides you to planning or or to to putting all your important documents, saying what they are, where they are, what the references are. It's like a project. And then, so I started filling it out the other day, and it said my funeral arrangements. Now, don't worry, I'm not getting morbid, and I'm not planning to go anywhere. Okay, but but uh, so my so I wrote a few things in there, and then I put at the bottom, I put laugh a lot because death doesn't win, right? Yep. Laugh. Let's face it, I gave you plenty of material. You'll laugh a lot. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have stories to tell. Do you, do you remember that day? I couldn't believe he did it. Yeah, you'll be doing that, right? I said, laugh a lot because death doesn't win. So I know I'm, I know I'm dealing with a very sensitive topic today, uh, but I want to help us to get to the place where we've got a, perhaps a better understanding. The Bible says when we know the truth, the truth will set us free. Right? That's what it says. So what started me thinking down this road was a few weeks ago, I was, I was f- flicking through Twitter one morning, and uh, I saw this post from Beth Moore that many of you will be familiar with. So Beth Moore had actually posted a, a Bible verse and said, I'd never seen this this way before. And when I read it, in this particular translation that I didn't know existed, I had never seen it this way before either. And here is that Bible verse from the second book of Kings, chapter 2, and verse 1. And this basically is where I want to dwell for a few minutes this morning. The time had come for the Lord to take Elijah up to heaven. The time had come for the Lord to take Elijah up to heaven. So Elijah had been a terrific spiritual leader for the country. But the Bible says the time had come for the Lord to take Elijah up to heaven. And what that verse reminded me of is this. God knows when we will die. God knows. The time, the time, the time had come. God knows the time. In fact, there's a a verse in, in the book of Acts, chapter 15 and verse 18, where it says this, known to God from eternity are all his works. God's always known. God is in total control of absolutely everything. Known to God from eternity Are all his works? God's eye has been on everything, great and small, from the very beginning, and his hand has guided it all. In fact, in the book of Galatians, chapter 4, and verse 4, it says this about Jesus It says, When the time arrived that was set by God the Father, God sent his Son. When did Jesus come? When the time arrived that the Father had appointed. When the time came. God knows when we will die. In Ecclesiastes 3 in verse 1 it says this. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. There's a time that God has said Now, human life might have come as a result of simple biology. But the birth of a child is not only a miracle of God's creation, it is a miracle of God's timing. There are people who long to have children, but they wait a long time because children will be born when God's timing is absolutely right. Or maybe the other way around. And it's a surprise pregnancy. Surprise to everybody except God because there's a time to be born. And God doesn't make mistakes. He makes people. In Job chapter 33 and verse 4, it says this. It says, the Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. And as much as the day we entered this world was decided by God, the day we will leave this world has been decided by God too. The time had come for the Lord to take Elijah up to heaven. He was going up to heaven because the time, the time that God had set had come, the time that he had appointed. In Psalm 139 and verse 16, it says this, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So before we were born, God saw us, God knew us, and God had already written out the length of our days and of our lives. God knows. Nothing is random. Nothing is by chance. That is why I totally understand when someone says something like, she died too young. But the truth is, in God's eyes, no one ever did. Because the time had come. Young, yes. Too young, to us, yes but the time that God had established. That's why I, you you know what, there's there's some terrible sort of theology out there sometimes. You know, when someone loses a loved one, there are people who say, well, you know what, if only the church had more faith, and if only the church did that, and if only the church did that. Listen, listen, let me tell you this. God is in control, and God knows best. And I'll tell you this too, how dare you be so heartless? You see, the fact we don't understand doesn't mean something went wrong in heaven. I know that's a hard truth to grasp, and let's face it, I've known some of you a lot of years. And I've stood with a lot of you at gravesites. I've been with you as you've buried children spouses, siblings, parents. But I believe with all my heart that the fact we don't understand doesn't mean something went wrong. It means God's big plan meant the time had come. There's a far bigger plan, folks, than we can ever comprehend. And that's where faith comes in. Through the pain, I believe that God's working something bigger. Listen, the whole, the, the, the whole uh, of creation is an ongoing miracle of design and of engineering. The way the world, the way the universe functions is an absolute miracle. Everything moves with guided precision because there is a God who is above it all and and, and, and who, who put it all in place and makes it all happen. So many, many, many things that have to be connected depending on one another. And the same is true about human life too. There is a master plan and a loving God overseeing. Which means that in the end of the day, We should never give disease the credit for taking someone. Or even an accident. Because our times are in God's hands. The time had come. In fact, I I love this question in Proverbs 20 and verse 24. It says, since the Lord is directing our steps, Why try to understand everything that happens along the way? All right. There's a good one for all of us, right? Because if you try to understand it, you get really messed up. Right? If you try to understand it, it can pull you to a dark place. But what we believe is the Lord is directing our steps. There was... You know, one of the good things, if, if you look at the history of England, one of the good things that the English were really good at years and years ago was being defeated and run, overrun by other nations. And so, and so, and so in, uh, in 1066, Britain was invaded by Duke William of Normandy, which is part of France. And the French came, and he came over, and, and they came over, and, and they actually defeated the English, and, and, and they, they basically, you know, took over the country. And the decisive battle was on a town on the southern shore of England called Hastings, the Battle of Hastings. And they killed the English king there. And not long after the actual battle itself there was a a tapestry was created. And, And this tapestry was an embroidered linen piece 230 feet long and just 20 inches high. And it still exists today and it hangs in a museum of its own in Normandy, France. And this tapestry de- depicts 70 scenes leading up to William conquering England at the Battle of Hastings. Now imagine, imagine this tapestry that uh, I don't know, I guess, I guess is kind of as long as all around these walls. I've got no idea. But imagine something, a, a, a work of art. Now imagine somebody who's really nearsighted. Okay, that's easy. Here's somebody who's really nearsighted. So imagine somebody who's really nearsighted. Now the fact is this. They can't stand back and see it. The only way they can take it is to get really up close to a small section and look at it. Then they can see the detail. They can make out what's happening in one small section that's close to them. But they could never stand back and admire the whole thing. Here's how it is with life. We might be able to understand one small section that's really close to us. But we can never grasp the big picture. So we leave that with God. We leave that with him. I don't see, I can't can't take in everything that's going on, but I trust the God who has planned our days. God knows when we will die. And there's a question in the book of Genesis that really applies here, I think. Genesis 18 and verse 25, where it says this. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? God will always do the right thing. And one of these days, we'll see the whole picture and say, I've got it now. But until that day, we trust, we believe, and we move forward. So God knows when we will die. Now, the next thing I've got from this verse in Second Kings is this. When we die, Jesus will come for us. The time had come for the Lord to take Elijah up to heaven. Now, now some of you may be familiar with that story. L- let, me, let me just kind of fill in the details. The time had come for the Lord to take Elijah up to heaven. So Elijah is out one day with his protege, Elijah, who's gonna take over from him, and they're walking along one day, and suddenly, out of the heavens, comes this chariot with horses drawing it and and they're made up of flames of fire. So this chariot, this flaming chariot, comes out of heaven. If I was living when it appeared, I'd be dead by the time it arrived, I think. Right, it's like, uh uh-oh. So this chariot comes and I don't know how, whether he stepped into it or it scooped him up, but Elijah goes into that, and then there's a whirlwind that takes Elijah, fiery chariot, fiery horses, up into heaven. That's a novel way to go. (laughs) Elijah knew he was going to die, but he didn't realize how he was going to go to heaven. Actually, none of us knows when and how either, do we? But here's what Jesus says in John 14 and verse 2. He says, there's plenty of room for you in my Father's home. If that weren't so, I would have told you. Sorry, would I have told you that I'm on my way to get a room ready for you? Okay, so Jesus says, my Father's home, there's loads of rooms, I'm going there to get a room ready for you. But notice the next verse, verse 3. And if... I'm on my way to get your room ready. I'll come back and get you so you can live where I live. Okay, now, that's a key verse. That's a key verse upon which for for centuries, Bible teachers have built our belief in a second coming of Christ. The Bible speaks about it over and over again, that Christ will come again, that truth is woven right through the New Testament. It's prominent in the minds of New Testament believers. There was great anticipation in the early church of the second coming of Christ. But here we are 2,000 years later. Now some people get very excited trying to interpret current events to suggest Christ's return is imminent. And, and, And God bless them, that's good for them. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I I prefer to go by what Jesus said in Acts 1-7 where his disciples were asking him when things were going to unfold and here's what Jesus said. It's not for you to know the times or the dates. The Father has set in his own authority but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Lord, when's this going to happen? When are you going to come back? When are you going to set up your kingdom? Jesus said, none of your business. I prefer to live with that outlook. God's taking care of that. God's got that part of things. Here's what God said is my part of things. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Don't spend your life speculating over when Jesus will come again. Spend your life trying to take Jesus to people whose lives are falling apart in the here and now. So, you, you know, some folks get fascinated. People ask me questions. Do you believe, do you believe this will happen when Jesus comes? Do you I don't know. I don't know. I think we should be delivering meals to these seniors who are struggling to get by. And I'd rather just keep doing that. I'm happy to just keep doing that for the time being and uh, Jesus will show up when he wants to show up. And I'm not scared about the day Jesus will come. So, so many second coming folks really, they, 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 they drum up fear and it's like, wait a second, why should I be afraid that Jesus is coming back, That's right? right? Why, should that, why should that frighten me? But, but here's what I want to point out though, okay? Here's, now, back to John 14, verse two and three. So Jesus is sitting, this is what we call the Last Supper. He's sitting there with his disciples And he's saying, there's plenty of rooms in my father's house. I'm going to get one ready for you. And if I do that, I'm going to come again to take you to be with myself. Okay? Now, Jesus spoke that specifically to 11 people. All right? Now, let me just give this disclaimer. I've never heard another preacher actually say what I'm saying now. So you can take it or leave it. Is that all right? All right? Most of the time, take it when I say stuff here. But you can, you can, take, you can take this or leave it, but I'll tell, I, I'm gonna follow through my thinking from the scripture, okay? Jesus said to 11 specific people, I'm going to get a room ready, and if I'm going to get a room ready, I'll come back to take you to be with myself. Now, they all died. Most of them died gruesome deaths because of their faith. They did not see Jesus come back to take them to be with himself. So he didn't do what he said. Or did he do what he said? Did Jesus come back and take them to be with himself? Was Jesus there with them as they left this earth? Did Jesus take them to heaven? And and, and I believe that when we die, that Jesus will come for us. I really do. There, there, there's a story in, in, in the book of Acts where it, it tells us in Acts 7 about a guy called Stephen who was very strong in, in sharing his faith. And the religious leaders ultimately um, decided to kill him because he was such a vociferous preacher of the gospel. And, and, and as they were stoning him to death in the process, in Acts 7 verse 56, we read this. Look, he said. I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, every preacher under the sun, myself included for many years, would have told you Jesus was waiting to receive Stephen. But I want to suggest this to you. I'm only throwing this out. What if Jesus had stood up to come and get him? I will come again to receive you under myself. I'm quoting King James now, of course. So that where I am there you may be also. Jesus told the eleven, I'll come again and take you to be with myself. I believe that when we die, Jesus comes to get us. Now, you may say, how is that possible? Do you know worldwide it's estimated that a hundred people die every minute? So you say, yeah, Roger, so that, how can that happen? I don't know. It's God we're talking about. Right? We sang this morning, and I totally believe the Lord is in this place. Amen. But, but let me say this: when I'm taking a nap this afternoon, I believe the Lord will be in that place. Hey, but wait up. He's going to be at your place, too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't understand it. You'd fry your brain trying. But I believe that when we pass, nobody nobody passes alone. Nobody's ever by themselves. Nobody ever makes the journey into heaven alone. The Savior comes and takes them home. When my time comes, Jesus will come and take me home. Okay, the last thing. And this is very important. When we die, for every one of us who knows the Lord, I'm talking about here, okay? When we die, we will go up to heaven. You may say, uh, yeah. No, I need to make that point because some folks have been kind of victims of some other teachings over the years, and that's, that's the same with some of you. It's, it says in 2 Kings 2.1, the time had come for the Lord to take Elijah up to heaven. Um, Let me just make this clear. There's no in-between place. There's no holding cell called purgatory. Not in this book anywhere. Not at all. When I die, I will go to heaven. 2 Corinthians 5, verse six. Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul says, this is dead simple. If I'm here, I'm not there. And if I'm not here, I'll be there. There's only two options. When my time comes, if I'm not here, I'll be there. Don't worry, is he someplace lingering in between while they check the records? There's only one record, folks. Christ died for our sins, the just for the unjust, to bring us to God. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. If, if, <laughs> you know, I'll quote this. in in the language I learned it in. You know, if if the Lord marked iniquity, who would stand? Right? If God was taking score of sin, which of us would be here still? Which of us would last? None of us. You know what opens heaven to us? The sacrifice of Jesus and my trust in him as my Lord and my Savior. Done deal. May the 13th, 1962. Taken care of. My salvation was signed, sealed, and delivered the day I asked Christ to come into my heart and be my Lord and be my Savior. Thank God. So, if I'm not here, I'll be there. It's only one or the other. No other choices. Thank God. Philippians 1.23 puts it this way. Paul says to the Philippian believers, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Here's the point. If I die, if, if I, die I will be with Christ. With Christ. In fact, he, here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 15.25, that Jesus won't let up until the last enemy is down And the very last enemy is death. Jesus will defeat that last enemy as we face it. And we will go triumphant with him into heaven itself. C.S. Lewis once wrote this. He said, "I, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and help others do the same. About uh, three years ago, I was asked to go over to the UK and, and give some input and to help a church there that was looking to find a way forward and I spent a few days with them with the church family and with the leaders of the church. and Then I figured while I was in England and I was nearby, I'd go back and visit my home city that I grew up in, the city of Exeter. And so I figured I'd go and have a day there. I hadn't been there for 25 years since my father had passed. And, and I've got no families and a family there now and really no connections, but I wanted to go back there, right? I, I'm big on nostalgia, right? Sentiment. So I I, I went back and and I spent a day there and I I wandered around the the old neighborhood where I grew up and I walked up and down the street that I had grown up on and then I walked up to the local park where my buddies and I had spent countless hours over many years hanging out. I walked up to the school I'd gone to as a small child and saw these things and, and, and I was just drinking it all in. And I remember, standing in the park and looking around, and it's like, you know, it was the same view. Over the wall there were the houses, the same houses that had been there when I was a kid, and everything was similar. And there was a part of it that I enjoyed, but part of it left me empty. Because I was standing there alone. (laughs) Because my memories of being in the park on long summer days were with with people who weren't there. So, you know, uh, Tom Perrier and Dave Payton and and Len Rolleston and John Roach and all the kids we used to hang out together. None of them was there. If they were there, that would have made that experience so much different. One day I'll go to heaven and that will be an amazing place. But you know what will make heaven really different and really special? Revelation 22 says this, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face. That's what's going to make it different. We will see God's face. When my time comes, I will be there, and I will see his face. God alone knows what our times are, but he set them wisely and well as part of his huge tapestry of life. When I die, Jesus will come for me. And when I die, I'll go direct to heaven. And that is the blessing for every child of God. But here's the question, and I I, I am wrapping up now. Here's the question. The question is, are you as sure of that as I am? Now, for you, are you as sure of that? You can say, well, you're the pastor. No, 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 let's forget this. You're the pastor business, okay? Pastors get no free pass into heaven, right? I'm going to heaven for one reason, because I trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior. And if you're here this morning and you have not got that confidence in your heart that you have eternal life, then I want to invite you this Sunday morning to open your heart to Jesus. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and to my life and be my Savior. Do that today. Settle the issue here and now. You don't wait until death takes you to find out what's happening. There's way too much at stake. There's eternity at stake. That's something you need to settle in the here and now. And so many of us here today, thank God we've done that. Which doesn't make us anything special. It means God's very special because he wanted us and God wants you. We're going to pray together just now. And as we come to pray, I'm going to invite you. If you're here today and don't know that you have eternal life, I want to invite you to open your heart to Jesus